Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the You Are Love podcast. Today, I am so excited to be speaking to the founders of Lotus Foods. I'm going to be speaking with Kara Levine and Ken Lee. We're going to discuss beyond organic farming practices with a regenerative organic certification. Lotus Foods sources the rice from smallholder farmers, benefiting both people and the planet. So welcome so much to the podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you guys again. Last time we did a live and I'm excited to do the podcast with you. We are too, Nika. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. And we're so excited to be using your rice, your beautiful or beyond organic regenerative rice in one of our new dinners. Yeah, we had it on Friday night and it was absolutely delicious. Congratulations on a great new product. Thank you so much. I just want to say that, you know, it was a particularly busy week, jam-packed and Friday rolled around. It was a, a definitely a TGIF type of a Friday. And uh, the last thing I felt like doing was firing up the stove and cooking some food. And so we had just received uh, the uh, organic chickpea coconut curry with kale meal solution. And uh, it was so easy to just heat it up and, uh, and have a nutritious kind of delicious meal uh, real quick, real easy. And I was just thinking that, you know, not everybody gets to travel around the world to uh, in, in terms of their business. And so we've experienced so much great cuisine and, and curries from different countries. And it was really nice to just be able to warm it up and eat something that was authentic. Uh, really nice, uh, like tomatoey, uh, coconut type of flavor, along with, uh, of course, our rice. Yeah, thank you. And and really, you know, a lot of times rice is like, you know, because you guys educated me last time we spoke that 80% of the population of the world eats rice. And a lot of those people, it's a staple in their diet. And sometimes we think of rice as like, you know, the side dish, you know, and this rice I'm, is so exciting to talk about this rice. And it really is like the shooting star in this specific dinner that we launched because it's one of the first rice rice in the world to have it is the pro, it is, are you guys are the first rice to have the certification right we are the first rice company to certify a um, regenerative organic certification for rice but you know what's really interesting about this rice nika is that um, many of your um, consumers might not know that this is a true, what we call a land race rice or heirloom rice. So this rice has been passed down from generations and it's never been altered. It's the same seed that people use generations ago. And what's important about this rice is, um, unfortunately, most of the basmati that comes out of India is a um, hybrid it's been changed to actually do, you know, for better, for better yields. Um, growing basmati, true basmati is very, very difficult. And uh, what has happened is that basically um, the, the most of the basmatis are, that are, are being imported are, um, are being bred for texture, it elongates, as opposed to um, maybe flavor or aroma, because usually it's paired just like you did with a nice flavor, um, tangy, aromatic curry. But this, um, this basmati that we found is a true land race. And, and so it has all those 
um, characteristics of true basmati, and not only does it elongate and, um, and, and stay separate, but it has that amazing aroma. Um, so we're thrilled, and, and, and actually the system of rice intensification allowed these farmers to actually grow this rice sustainably and with um, more, when we say more crop per drop, less inputs and more rice, they were able to actually grow this. And that's one of the reasons why um, the, the basmati's changed over the years is because it was a very expensive um, crop and a hard crop to grow. But with the system of rice int intensification, our farmers can now grow it um, and, and get a yield. And with our fair trade and organic incentives, they have a global marketplace for it. So it's a win-win for everybody because now consumers have a true heirloom and wonderful tasting basmati rice. We call it the mother of all basmati. God, I love that. That is so, that's such a beautiful story to be able to know that you're eating this heirloom rice with that history. It's, that's amazing. And is this the same basmati that you've been using for a long time? Is this, or is it a different seed? No, actually um, the only aromatic, well, we've had several aromatic rices, but the one that we've prominently featured is the jasmine rice. So we've never really had a basmati rice till mm. now um, because, you know, there was so much confusion, like Carol was alluding to. There's all these hybridized varieties. And we we were really, from the beginning, uh, focusing on authentic. authentic heirloom varieties. And we hadn't found any of that. And so when we discovered the what Carol coined the, the mother of all basmati, it was very exciting because it was something that we could uh, get excited about. And so when she was saying it's hard to grow, basically the traditional basmati plant grows really tall. And that's problematic when you have monsoon winds blowing, the, the, the crop can tip over. Uh, and that's called lodging. And the lodging could mean you lose all your crop or it's very difficult to salvage anything. And so with uh, SRI, uh, and in the bigger uh, root ball. Yeah, because the way it's an aerobic form of farming instead of flooded fields where it's always underwater, uh, because of that, the roots sink down deeper and they access more micronutrients in the soil, but they grow a bigger root ball, which makes it more stable, just like a solid foundation on a house is essential in, in a hurricane or something like that. So the, the, the plants stand up tall. Um, and they don't have to worry about it lodging. And so uh, it allows a traditional variety to be competitive or at least uh, with, with some of the hybridized varieties. That's so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about the biodiversity of rice? Because that's something I know nothing about, and I'm really interested in that. Well, um, I think everybody should know that rice has been grown for millennia and in more climates than any other crop. Um, depending upon the variety, it can tolerate tropical heat and rains. It can also um, grow in really cool temperatures down to 40 degrees Fahrenheit, um, which is the environment in, in which our forbidden rice grows. That's our black rice um, from the northern parts of China. So you can imagine um, there has been a huge biodiversity that he's, has evolved um, through history. At one point, scientists estimated that there was about 140,000 different varieties of rice that were cultivated around the world before the introduction of modern agriculture. And then in the 1960s and 70s, with the Green Revolution, 
This led to a dramatic loss of rice biodiversity. This was due to um, intensive promotion of new high-yielding varieties that responded um, better to synthetic fertilizers um, and irrigation, you know, grown in large-scale monocultures. So it was the, really the 60s and the 70s that we had this dramatic change. Um, at that time, you know, um, it did produce much more cheap food, which was good because it, it helped um, mitigate starvation. Um, but in Thailand, for example, experts actually estimate that farmers tended about 16,000 different varieties before the Green Revolution. And now by um, 2000, only 37 varieties wow. were grown at a large scale. And about 50% of that in uh of the rice growing land was devoted to just two varieties. Um, And so this just, you know, unfortunately this isn't an issue just related to rice worldwide. Scientists believe that between 1900 and 2000, we have lost 75% of the genetic diversity in major food crops. And and we continue to lose more diversity annually. That's cr- that's incredible. And when you were just speaking about the rice that resi- was resistant to certain weeds, are those just a specific strain of rice or are those genetically modified? Yeah, those are more either either they're hybridized or 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 it's more hybridization that they're or than um, genetically modified, but they're basically um, modified for better yields in different in different conditions. Um, uh, I just want b- okay. b- before Carol goes off into that one. I just wanted to kind of share a little story uh, related to the biodiversity loss in in what we just talked about Thailand, right, where they had all these varieties, sixteen thousand pared down to a small number. Um, I was invited to Myanmar to talk about SRI, system of rice intensification, what we call more crop per drop. And I was really there trying to encourage uh, the folks, uh, the government in Myanmar, that they had a tremendous opportunity to grow really healthy, clean uh, food because their country um, hadn't been seduced by all the chemical companies. Unfortunately, it's happening now. Um, And so I was talking to this rice milling group and this one gentleman, I think he was the largest of all the rice millers. And he was talking about he was lamenting the the fact that farmers grew so many kinds of rice, it was making for inefficiencies in the way he milled rice. Because if you took one kind of rice and then you went to the next variety, you had to stop your machine, you had to clean it out because you didn't want to have cross-contamination of a different kind of rice. And so he was he was arguing for growing, if farmers could just grow like six varieties, then that would make everything a lot more efficient for me. Uh, which I thought was just falling into the same trap that Carol just described, that people are going after like the cash crop type of right. variety to grow. And it was just so disheartening to hear that here's a country that has an opportunity to lead with organic because there's just not enough organic food or herbs yeah. or spices. And this is a tremendous opportunity instead of jumping in on the race to the bottom uh, with all the other nations, um, just uh, kind of degrading soil and, and kind of minimizing biodiversity. Uh, it was just, uh, unfortunately, I think that's the path that they're going. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like that's why we are where we're where we are right now. You know, with all these monocrops and pesticides, is because rather than making like biodiversity you know, a top priority or clean organic farming or the soil, you know, we've just tried to make things cheap and easy, you know, and so that's why we're in the situation that we are because it's, you know, it's more difficult. I mean, I don't even know if it's more difficult to rotate crops, but it's just, you know, we got into the system, you know, where our soils degraded and, you know, our food has less nutrients. So it's so amazing that you guys are leading the way with rice. So, so with the rice, that is more resistant to the weeds and whatnot. Does that mean they're using more pesticides on that like sp- specific variety? Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, when you have these intensification of, of high yielding varieties that use more chemical fertilizer, pesticides, herbicides, then it takes much more water and much more inputs for them to continue over the years to thrive. Um, and that's created really huge problems, especially like in the Punjab of India, where basmati rice actually does grow. There are areas now that they were pumping the watershed um, so low that they actually had to stop growing rice. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, not only does the chemical intensification create a, a problem in the soil, um, and, and, and we now know that, but by narrowing the genetic pool, farmers themselves have the less ability to select the plants that they want to grow, that they know, you know, are adapted to climate change or that mm-hmm. have nutritional and, and cooking qualities that they like, you know, farmers want to grow what they eat. They just don't want to grow something that they sell because they're right. dependent on, on growing what they want to eat as well. So, you know, when you're a dependent on breeders to develop seeds, that's, that's not where farmers want to go. They want to be right. able to make their own seeds on a, uh, you know, and to be more, um, to be more autonomous. Right. Um, so it's, it's really important that, you know, farmers move back to traditional varieties um, instead of these modern varieties um, where they don't have to purchase seeds and 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 they use less inputs. They don't have to mm-hmm. use chemical fertilizers. They can make compost and and really start building the soil up again because farmers know how important soil is. Yeah. So Nika, I, I just wanted to you know when you asked the question, is it the varietal of rice that helps to combat or withstand weeds and all that, uh, or any kind of diseases? Um, so I think what's important is this is to have a more of a holistic approach in terms of looking at not just the seeds, but also the management of the root systems and water and, and all these other factors that come to play. Uh, because, you know, when you just get too siloed and thinking that, you know, it's just the seed, um, then you're not really paying attention to right. all the, the factors involved. And so, that's why I think, you know, something like regenerative organic or SRI, all of these things have a take a broader view uh, and consider all the uh, various factors in, in how to grow rice more sustainably. Uh, the other thing about chemicals is it's degrading soil. And then, then you need more pesticides and require more water. And then all of a sudden you, you lose your ability to retain water in the soil. And then when you add more water and more chemicals, it's washing away a lot of the nutrients. 
And you know the the the, the, the latest uh, report from the UN, uh, I think it's IACP uh, report, talks about like only like 50 uh, harvests left in terms of how much topsoil we have, which yeah. is a, a crazy notion that you know we would not have enough topsoil to grow food anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. And and beyond that, I can only imagine that these farmers, you know, their own health and the health of this, their communities would be so much better, the less pesticide use they use and are exposed to. And if it's in the water, it's going into their drinking water and their, you know, their community water. So there's so many. Absolutely. Once yeah. they change from conventional farming practices to organic far- farming practices, they know themselves, they're healthier their families are healthier, their the crops are healthier, the soil is healthier. It's, it's really, it, it's a, they recognize the difference as well. And, and they're the best ground, you know, grassroots right. um, stewards um, as, as well. I mean, especially, you know, a key to, you know, a key strategy to improving biodiversity is to encourage farmers to continue to not only grow diverse varieties of rice on their farms, but organic. And for us, you know, our role is to be market connectors. When we can create a market for heirloom organic rice, it then allows the farmers to grow these healthier traditional varieties for themselves and for us, for our consumers. So to me, that's that's that win-win that you want for everything that you do in your business. Absolutely. And when I was looking at the videos, I love your website. You have so much great information, um, you know, showing the farmers and a lot of them are women um, in the process of planting and growing rice. I mean, they're really in there and they're in the soil and the water and all of that. So to be able to um, bring this to market is so amazing for the farmers. And tell us more about the regenerative process and how you got the certification and and explain to our listeners how it's beyond organic so that people really understand what this means. So, um, you know, regenerative agriculture goes beyond organic. Um, everybody's now all of a sudden gleaming onto this word regenerative. Um, but it's 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 really not just farming by the absence of chemicals and the food production. It's all about building soil, drawing down carbon from the atmosphere and fixing it back into the soil. And um, one of the things that we love about um, the ROC certification is, first of all, when we were asked to pilot the program, um, we were excited to do so because we wanted to be the voice of the smallholder farmer. Um, this was a new standard that was being started in the U.S. And, um, and so many people, as they were writing the standards, so many of the farmers were from the U.S. And what happens in the U.S. is, is, is very different from what happens in the global you know, farming community. So we wanted to be the, the voice of a smallholder farmer in, in, the, in the developing world. And so that was really key. But we really, really resonated with the key elements of regenerative agriculture, um, which includes keeping the land covered with crops or grasses and and clover year round, which is called cover cropping. Um, Of course, composting is is super important, rotating crops and using no-till farming to build healthier soil. Um, we talked already about encouraging biodiversity, um, which prevents erosion and getting carbon out of the air and into the soil. That's what we call carbon sequestration. So all of this is um, was really part of the new rock certification. 
And, and, and as well, this is the other part that we loved about it. It had strict standards, not only on how you grow the rice or the crop and soil, but a, around worker justice and animal welfare. So there was a fair trade aspect into it and also the animal welfare. Yeah. I think one of the uh, the good components of this also is, I mean, here you go, here's another certification. Uh, but what they did, I think was really smart was that they, you know, they, you had to be certified organic already because okay. there's already an auditor coming to your field. And so, uh, and they also talked about um, uh, the welfare of the, the farmers. And so, there needs to be like a fair trade certification as well. And that, there is also an audit by those auditors. And so they weren't just making a whole new standard that they had to go send their own auditor. What they decided was that they would use existing audits and then all the check boxes that weren't covered, they would send in the auditor for that uh, just to kind of complete the process. And so uh, it wasn't uh, like uh, coming up uh, developing the wheel all over again, it was kind of piggybacking on existing standards. Um, and that, that was, uh, something that also helped keep the cost down because yeah. as you can imagine, it can get expensive, not just the cost, but also the time involved. I love that. I, I never knew that. That is so smart because, you know, we're both certified B corporations. So we understand like the cost of being certified organic and, you know, even like, you know, getting all your stuff in order to be a certified B corporation. I mean, there's so much time and energy and money that it takes to be certified organic and a certified B Corp. And so that's real. I love hearing that because I've, I've, I did a podcast with somebody else recently. We were talking about, you know, there's a lot of farmers in India who are, um, farming things like turmeric beyond organic, but they can't afford the certifications. And so we were talking about, God, how do, you know, how are these farmers going to, you know, why isn't there funding for them? And I know there are certain programs, but I'm so happy to hear that they already use the organic certification to make it easier for farmers to get this new regenerative certification. That's amazing. Yeah. And we recognize the burden it puts on farmers too. So sometimes uh, what Lotus Foods will do is just pay for the, whatever the added costs are for the certification with the understanding that in the future, the farmers would have to take that on themselves because mm -hmm. it, it is benefiting them uh, as well as benefiting us. So that's the kind of a partnership aspect of, of what we do. I love that. You guys are so amazing. So you should be so proud of everything that you've accomplished and having such high integrity. I'm, I'm just, it's really amazing. So, so much kudos to you guys for being well, able to as do this. You know, as you know, Nico, with even, you know, with Urban Remedy, it takes a team. It takes a village to do this work. It's not just us. It's, it's everybody really having such an important, integral part of this journey that makes it all work. And, and that, to me, is the great part that everybody sees that all their hard work comes out into, you know, making this all work. Yeah. And um, we, we'd be remiss in not mentioning our colleagues at Cornell, the started with the Cornell international Institute for food, agriculture and development. Uh, but there's folks there that are actually doing the technical assistance or kind of keeping um, us apprised of the developments worldwide in the 60 some odd countries that they're practicing SRI. And so, you know, we get credited sometimes for kind of sharing technical assistance with farmers, but it's really those folks who are helping to inform 
organizations like Oxfam and World Wildlife Fund and AfriCare and Catholic mm-hmm. Relief Services and Mercy Corps. There's a whole a true village. Yeah, yeah there's yes. a whole contingent yeah. of uh, development organizations that have uh, put this in their tool box for uh, smallholder farmers. You know, you know, and it, yeah, and it's so great because there's, I think, I, and you guys probably have the same, it's like when you work with people that hold that vision and are really passionate about the soil and the environment and and farming and farmers, it's amazing, you know, what people can accomplish. And it's there's such an amazing power and energy behind a whole, you know, business or team that is holding that vision and and you know, all holding that vision of creating, you know, a healthier planet. And it's, I love being a part of that because it just feels so good. And there's this like positive energy that's always flowing, you know, through Urban Remedy, I'm sure Lotus Foods, um, because everybody's so excited to get this stuff done. And you guys have done such an amazing job, you know, doing what you've done. I was reading that you, you guys have saved 4 billion gallons of fresh water, enough to give half a gallon of water to every person on the planet. Like that in itself is absolutely incredible. Well, you know, the the system of rice intensification, which is um, a regenerative practice, um, it's it's really what we, when we learned about it in 2005 and committed to it after we visited farmers in Madagascar and Indonesia and Cambodia, um, it really was a game changer in that just imagine, just by the way you change how rice is grown, you can have economic, social, and environmental impact. To us, it just didn't get better than that. And one of the reasons, the other reason we wanted to be a part of the ROC certification is we wanted wanted the verification, the validation that SRI practices was truly regenerative, and they are. And so, you know, that really helps consumers really understand that they can make a difference and then they, they can buy a healthier product um, that that's better for themselves and for their family and for the environment and for the farmers. And so basically, you know, when our farmers in India who use this SRI practice um, achieved the silver level of rock certification, they were thrilled. I mean, they wanted gold. There are actually three levels of certification going from bronze to silver to gold. Um, gold, of course, being the, the obvious highest level our farmers, you know, right off the bat for the first year getting silver um, was was a big deal. That is a big deal. And so is anybody certified gold right now? I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. We would have to ask the rock folks. Okay. I'm so curious. That's really interesting. But this is one of those things where it's not like you get your gold and then you've arrived and you don't. You right. Don't. Yeah. It, this is a, something where you're continually trying to improve. And that's, of course, how it should be. Um, and it was meant to be a really high bar standard. Uh, I'm I'm concerned that being so high bar that not enough people will really move in this direction. Uh-huh. But at least, you know, there's some certifications behind it, as opposed to, I think, a lot of the greenwashing that's going on now. With, right. Uh, have so many people adding the word regenerative to the point, I think it's just going to be confusing to people. Um, exactly. But- it's kind of like the non-GMO certification. Like that got so big so fast that people were choosing non-GMO certified instead of organic because they didn't understand the difference. Yeah, and in surveys, they were saying it's more important than organic. Right. Uh, Which is so funny. That if you were organic, then you were non-GMO. And so I think 
That's, a, that's, well, that's a good exactly, example. it's a great example. Yeah. And that's exactly what we don't want to do with regenerative. Um, right. It's already been down that path. And unfortunately, it's already going in that direction. Right, exactly. I mean, we had the, we used to do non-GMO certified and certified organic. And then all of a sudden, and it's very expensive. And we were like, why are we even doing non-GMO certified? We're automatically non-GMO certified by being organic. It's just the consumer, you know, didn't understand that. Um, and I, we did a whole podcast on it. And I think it, that's a really important point. And I, I think it's also really important to just re- reiterate what you said. It's it's about, you know, now that these products are out there, it's about the consumer purchasing them and making a conscious choice because every time they're choosing, you know, certified organic or this regenerative certification, you know, they're voting with their dollars and supporting all the way back to the farmers, you know, who, like we said, are going to have better lives and it's going to help the soil and the environment. So that's the opportunity for consumers is to really support regenerative and organic farming. Absolutely. We, we say so when consumers buy our rice, they are playing an important role in helping to tackle all these huge challenges we're facing, like climate change, promoting farmer welfare, improving women's health, preserving biodiversity, conserving water. Um, they very much have become part of the solution. And I love that because that and it and it feels really good. And that's honestly one of the reasons I was so excited, like I said, about the chickpea curry is being able to have your rice right next to it because it just makes it that much more special and and it's going to help educate the consumer on this new certification. One more thought about you know, the rock certification and 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 why it's important and what we're trying to do at Lotus Foods um, in terms of you know like we're participants in fair trade. Uh, we're providing a, a premium for how farmers grow rice, uh, organic certification, all that. Somehow, I think we can do more. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when we're talking about regenerative practices that sequester carbon, we're talking about um, doing something to roll back climate change. And, and, and so shouldn't farmers who are doing this work, shouldn't they get paid for that? So somehow if we on field, we can measure the improvements like the, the methane emissions in terms of reducing those reduction or in reduction in water mm-hmm. or less labor. I mean, think about what does this mean? Climate change it means extreme heat and extreme weather and farmers, they don't work in an office. They work in the field and they're exposed to all the dangers of this extreme temperatures. And so, um, if we can actually get to the point of measuring, we can then monetize the work that the farmers do. They should be rewarded for this because they're gonna play a huge role in rolling back climate change if we're up to the challenge. They already play a huge role in feeding us. Um, I, I think we need to give farmers a lot more credit and from not only credit, meaning monetary, monetarily you know, incentivizing them as well. Yeah, because the other thing I like to point out is you know, I think people think it's large scale farming that provides food on the planet. It's smallholders that provide maybe 70 percent of all food. And so there's a huge role for them to play. But somehow we we need to do something for smallholder farmers. If you look, at, if you take a picture of what they're doing, this could have been a picture like 300 years ago. They, people haven't made new tools for them to automate or make life easier. We've just given them chemicals and things like uh, modified seeds from multinational companies. Um, and, but we haven't done anything to alleviate the misery or the, the pain points of farming manually. 
I love that. What a beautiful sentiment. That's so important. And thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, we don't, I mean, I think, you know, especially in the United States, we're just so disconnected from food, the food system in general. Like we just go and pick up our food at the grocery store and rarely think about where it came from or how it was grown. I mean, we might look at if it's organic or non-organic or whatever. Um, But yeah, we're so disconnected from that. And it's really interesting. I think you know, on a larger scale level, part of the reason, you know, we're dealing with climate change and we're in the situation we are is because we're, we're so disconnected from nature. And, you know, our society is so sick and all of these chronic diseases are so high. And so when you tell the story about the farmer, the small farmer, you know, using the same practices that they've used for, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of years, um, you know, those are people, wh- when I envision that, that are living in harmony with nature because they're tilling the land and planting the seeds and they're, you know, have to be, you know, doing that in harmony with the weather situation. And that's what we're so disconnected from is that, you know, living in harmony with nature. And I'm an acupuncturist, so I, you know, I talk about that a lot because it's a big part of Chinese medicine. But this farming and the regenerative farming and looking at the soil, it's really like just getting back to the way things are supposed to be that they've been, you know, for forever. Like we've totally disconnected with the natural cycles of life and nature. And it's like, it's like coming back to that and honoring the people that have the greatest wisdom and that are doing that such important work, you know, instead of just going to the grocery store and just grabbing the cheapest, you know, thing that we can, you know, buy to feed our families. And so it's really, it seems like it's it's a bigger movement and a bigger statement of, you know, our disconnection from farming and, you know, Mother Earth in, in general. Not to sound too woo-woo, but I really, I really feel that. And I feel like, you know, part of the way we get back to healing ourselves as a culture and a community is really, you know, getting back to our connection with nature. And, and one way we can do that is by choosing to support these farmers and, you know, the looking at who grows our food and how it's grown and how to honor the farmers. And there should, I, I, yeah, I would love to learn more about, um, you know, if there is some sort of a foundation or some sort of an idea of how to give back to those farmers to support them. Well, we're working on it, but, you know, at this point, you know, rice has grown really on the backbone of women's labor. Um, Mm -hmm. It's backbreaking work. Um, and it's not easy. So with the system of rice intensification, because they use less seeds, meaning and, 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 and smaller um, seedlings, they're not carrying so much into the fields for transplanting. And they get to work in the early morning before the sun is um, really high. And it's not as warm because they don't need as many hours in the field with SRI. So we need to start thinking about what are some of the, um, some of the, tools that a farmer uses that are more um, desirable for women's use as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, there's so much, there's so much more that we can do. And, and we just try to do our best every day to, to support them. It'd be amazing. I mean, somebody should do a documentary on everything that you're talking about, because it, it would be amazing just to be able to, you know, tell the bigger story with, you know, seeing the smaller Visual. farms. And yeah, that, I agree. That could be fantastic. Okay. So if anybody out there wants to do a documentary, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> we'll connect you. All right. Back to chickpeas. 
Um, yeah, I mean, um, I love the idea of um, talking about crop rotations for nitrogen reju rejuvenation and the reduction of soil erosion in both chickpea farming and how it relates to rice. Um, there, you know, we totally agree that intercropping with legumes has, has tremendous potential um, in, in system of rice intensification methodologies that is happening here in the U.S., um, which is new for us. This was part of our 25th anniversary. Um, they do a lot of intercropping for weed control and soil cover um, is, is now happening. Um, there has been really good research in India on intercropping rice with beans um, under you know, SRI um, practices to help promote soil fertility and to increase incomes and, and reduce the need for weeding. Um, that's happening, you know, in, in areas of Ind India, there's a rotation between also, um, rice and pulses. Um, right now we have a new project in West Bengal, uh, where chickpeas are intercropped with rice on some farms and we'll be introducing a new varietal this week, uh, this spring, this week, this spring, um, from West Bengal that does this. And so, um, we're excited um, to to introduce this new varietal. Um, so, you know, there I, it's a great it, it's something that is happening, and I think will continue to um, to continue to happen and increase. I love it. That's amazing. And with this rice, um, this this um, heirloom variety that you guys are using with this basmati, what about the nutrition levels? Like, are they all pretty equal or is there a difference in nutritional value? What we say about system of rice intensification or what we call more crop per drop, because it's a larger root ball and water and, and rice is one of these plants that absorb everything that's in the soil. So the more micronutrients in the soil, the more uptick mm -hmm. take they're going to have into that rice plant. Um, so again, um, also when you get to have a crop that has be, is able to stay without lodging, to stay in the field longest and mature, you're going to get more nutritional value. But I don't know, I don't, we haven't done enough studies on the difference in nutritional value of, say, more crop per, rice, per drop rice versus conventional or even organic. What, uh, what right. I will say is anecdotally, when we talk to farmers, um, they see more of the uh, kernels of rice uh, ripening right. um, mm -hmm. as opposed to like when you see the, that sheathing uh, that is like the, the rough part of the rice, uh, that has to be milled off. But underneath it, you know, rice it starts as kind of a milky liquid substance. And sometimes when you mill the rice, there's nothing in there. So that's called blanking out. Mm. Uh, but, so what we've heard from farmer stories is that um, there's more, um, more flowering and more grains uh, on the plant. Uh, and also when they go to the milling process where they take the sheathing off and then if they want white rice, then it, when they mill the bran layer off, there's less breakage. So less uh, shattering of the grain because mm -hmm. it's healthier and stronger. Now, you know, that's just anecdotal type of information, but I don't know uh, why it wouldn't be that the, yeah. the rice is 
healthier uh, is the reason why it's not shattering. More uptake in micronutrients, definitely. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And when you look at kind of the energetics of food and how foods are grown, I mean, even like sometimes I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be looking at rice. And if you look at rice, like your rice, and then you look at um, like a conventionally grown rice, it does seem like the kernels are like sometimes broken and a little shorter, like shattered, which is interesting. Um, but when you look at the energetics of food, I mean, anything, like you said, that is in the soil longer and being able to uptake those nutrients and grown without pesticides, um, I mean, that would just, I mean, who wouldn't want to eat something that's grown in like nutrient dense soil compared to something that is sprayed with pesticides? I don't know, but uh, definitely not me. So I, yeah, I mean, always well, choosing. The news is that it's growing. The movement has grown in the last decade. I think, you know, even beyond our dreams. So we're, we're, you know, it needs to continue to grow, but it's, it's great that it is growing. Yeah, no, congratulations. It's absolutely amazing. And we're super excited. We're also going to be using your forbidden rice in a salad that in a bowl that's coming out relatively soon. So we're excited about that as well. That's great. Well, I think you're, I think you're going to have tremendous success with this organic chickpea coconut curry um, dinner meal because it's absolutely delicious. Um, oh, thank you so much. I'm so a great product. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We're really excited to get some warm, nourishing dinners out, and we're going to be definitely utilizing more of this your rice. So we're super excited. And um, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to go over that I missed that's important around regenerative farming or the rice practices, or the growing practices? No, I just want to say the collaborating with with colleagues in other companies like you have really made this so much so worthwhile. Um, I just think we need more of this. This is great. Absolutely, I know, and I, I'm so curious. I want to see you know what other companies and what other ingredients are able to get the certification and being able you know as you know we put foods together. So to be, it's so exciting to even have this opportunity to go you know, beyond organic. And I know there's a, a friend of mine that lives in Switzerland has told me about a certification that they have. And I'm sure you guys know about it. It's, I think it's Demeter. Yes. Yes. That's Biodynamic. the biodynamic. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. Anyways, it just opening up a whole new world yeah. and the more people learn about it and are able to purchase it and support it and vote with a dollar, the better. So I really encourage everybody listening to look for the new certification and always, you know, beyond that, if you can't find it, obviously, you know, organic is the best choice for, for our bodies and the planet. What do you guys think about the Gates Foundation and diversifying their funds in terms of, you know, what what are they investing in and when it comes to rice or crops? That's a great question. The Gates Foundation, they play an outsized role in, 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 um, in what's funded. Uh, for instance, um, uh, entire re research departments at elite universities are dependent on Gates money. So they, they kind of do the kind of research that the foundation wants. Uh, the same is true for U.S. Agency for International Development, like USAID, which determines U.S. spending for international agriculture. So the Gates model is to partner with large corporations focusing on genetic innovation and pressuring farmers to adopt new seeds and agrochemicals. I'd, I'd just like to add, you know, I, I was invited to participate on a panel on poverty alleviation at the Clinton Global Initiative uh, years ago. And I was on a panel with someone who was uh, representing AGRA, which is the um, 
the Alliance. Alliance for Green Revolution in Africa. And so we'd already been through a green revolution. And as Carol mentioned to, alluded to earlier, yes, it did allow a lot of cheap food to be produced and uh, stave off a lot of uh, starvation around the world. But we also now, in retrospect, see the damage that it did to soil and to the people and indebtedness. And so uh, at this, um, at this um, plenary at the Clinton Global Initiative, uh, we got to see Bill Gates on stage having like a fireside chat with Bill Clinton. And, and Gates was talking about, we're funding five uh, vaccines for malaria, uh, not because we need five, but because we need to find one that is really effective. And so what he was talking about was just like any mutual fund manager, you know, diversify your portfolio and increase your odds of coming up with the right one. And so what we're saying is what needs to happen is, you know, not just what Lotus Foods is doing. We're going to spark something, I believe, in terms of a change. But there needs to be support for all these farmers doing this work. And so if Gates took the same view, uh, what they're talking about in terms of uh, vaccinations for malaria and, and extended that to agriculture and not just SRI, but there's other modalities that need to be explored but are severely underfunded. And so if this kind of uh, sharing of resources, and it wouldn't take much compared to the billions of dollars that they've already invested, I think we could see a lot more rapid movement in what we're trying to do when we state as our mission, changing how rice is grown on the planet. Hallelujah. I, I totally agree with you. That would be amazing. I mean, I think um, you know, from what I know, it seems like Bill Gates is one of the largest shareholders of, you know, Monsanto and other um, big ag companies. So I don't know if it would be in his, you know, best interest financially. But I think we need to find somebody like a Bill Gates that is really passionate about the environment to do exactly what you're saying. Somebody that really cares about the environment that is willing to, you know, fund and look into the research on everything that you just said. I mean, it's so important. And if Bill Gates would like to do it, more power to you. We hope he does. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, again, just a little bit more diversity and balance instead of the overwhelming amount of spending on genetic research, you know, as the primary solution to food security. Mm -hmm. You know, we've in the, in the past, we approached them, you know, together with colleagues at Cornell, um, about scaling the system of rice intensification, but they were not interested. So we already know this works and this is a solution. So all we were sharing is if a fraction of some of these resources went into SRI technical assistance in places um, in, in Africa, we really believe we could, um, we could really change the dynamic there. Yes. You know, there's, there's some research there that some Recently, some 200 organizations led by the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa asked the foundation to stop funding um, the, the AGRA initiative that, that Ken, you know, talked about because it was, you know, it transitioned farmers, you know, they claim that it transitioned farmers away from traditional seeds and crops to commercial seeds and, and more synthetic fertilized and other inputs to, you know, to grow commodity crops for the global market. And so, um, you know, in fact, the reality has been um, what we what we heard is the number of severely malnourished people in in Africa has increased by 50 percent since 2006, 
when Gates started Agra. So, you know, if the foundation could pivot and, and invest in just a fraction of what invest in, in what it invests in genetically, uh, in genetic research into scaling regenerative agriculture, we think it could make a huge difference. I agree with you a hundred thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, I, that would be incredible. And it's really sad, um, you know, that, that you, your colleagues brought that to them and they weren't willing to look at it. And again, I think, you know, it's like, you know, people need to be educated and understand these issues on a greater scale because, um, you know, if you were to probably Google this, they would say, oh, Bill Gates is feeding the world with the golden rice or whatever it is with the high vitamin A, vitamin rice. And then you look at what you just said, that there's more, you know, malnutrition since that, you know, started. I think that speaks volumes. And again, I think that... um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of decisions are made um, about farming and the environment based on um, larger corporations and lobbyists. And, you know, that's, you know, part of the reason we're in the situation we are, but we need to change that. And, you know, the more, like you said before, the more people vote with their dollars and, you know, let our politicians know what's important to us um, and getting together, like we said, people with the vision holding that vision um, of changing the planet and taking care of the farmers. We, we, the people are probably going to be the people that have to make that happen. Well, I think rather than be discouraged, I mean, Gates is a science-based type of organization. Yes. And so when you look at something like uh, the, what Paul Hawken edited uh, project drawdown, I think we talked about it last time, uh, but in drawdown um, a couple hundred scientists identified SRI is one of the top 100 solutions that we already know what to do that if scaled could reverse climate change. And uh, Rodale Institute reports that if all cropland and grassland were converted to regenerative agriculture, 100% of annual man-made CO2 emissions could be drawn down. Uh, and so this is, the, this is a great opportunity. So maybe there's a sea change underway uh, is my hope and that some of this funding could flow in this direction. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. And yeah, I think, you know, bringing awareness to this is, you know, the first step and creating that change. I mean, there's so much change that we need to create right now. But like you said, I mean, this shouldn't be something that gets people down. This should be an exciting to hear this and know that there is a there's a path forward, there's a solution, and we just need to get together, you know, and make it happen. And again, on a small scale, you could just go to the grocery store, support organic, support regenerative. And that's, if that's the one way you can do it, that's amazing. And then, you know, all the warriors out there that are supporting the farmers like you guys are, you know, really leading the change. So I pray that that happens. And I think it will. Yeah, and I'll just conclude with, uh, I think we touched on it already, but I think it bears uh, repeating, you know, regenerative agriculture goes beyond organic. Mm -hmm. It's not just farming by the absence of chemicals in the food production. It's also about building soil health, drawing down carbon from the atmosphere and returning it, fixing it in the soil, returning it back to the soil where it started. Because soil loves carbon and talking about building soil, let's get that carbon, which is an abundance of get it back in the ground. Exactly. And the more we do that, the more we heal ourselves, the more we heal our planet, the more we heal ourselves. So it all Mm -hmm. goes together. So the more, you know, that we wake up and understand these concepts, the more change I believe that we can create because, you know, we are living inhabitants on the planet. 
you know, the planet is our mother. And so the more we take care of that, the more we're going to take care of ourselves. And I do believe the more we do that, the less um, chronic disease we're going to experience as uh, human beings on this earth. So it, it, we, it all weaves together. We can be the change we're looking for. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you again for everything that you, you guys have done. And again, you should be so proud of your amazing company and, and all the farmers that you support. And it's really an honor to be able to talk to you today. Well, well thank you for the opportunity to have this dialogue because uh, it just doesn't, uh, all these things that we're talking about just doesn't happen without a whole bunch of other people uh, joining the movement. And so, as we've mentioned before, you know, shoppers uh, voting with their wallet is really important because we, we can support a rice that's, uh, that's regenerative and sustainable and good for farmers and good for the planet. But unless people are actually buying them, um, we're not going to have the success we want because once that success happens, then the neighboring farmers, they see what's going on and then they're going to want to get in on it as well. And that's really the the pathway which we're trying to open up and incentivize farmers to change how they grow rice so that we can actually have a real impact uh, in terms of um, kind of reversing climate change and making farming uh, sustainable. Because right now it's not. It's just like uh, young farmers in America. They're not saying, hey, mom, dad, we want to jump in and do this with you. Right. They're leaving the farms. And, and around the world, they're leaving farms too for the cities. And you look at the, 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 the services that need to be provided by cities to people. It's already um, stressed out. And so for having more people go to the cities is not the solution. Um, and so... There's a lot of work yet to be done. And so I uh, really want to thank you for uh, allowing us to be on your air uh, and talking about really important stuff that people can uh, jump on and get involved with as well. And the role you're playing in making these delicious and nutritious foods and educating the consumer. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. And yeah, everybody that's listening, you know, vote with your dollars and support your you know, your local farmers markets and get to know your farmers. I mean, I think, you know, the more research people do on farmers or even going to their local farms in their area, if there are any, it's so important and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And, and with that, you know, like I said before, I think it's getting back, living in harmony with nature, eating local foods, finding out where your food is from. You know, these are all things that are only going to support not only our health, but the health of the planet. So so thank you so much and um, keep me updated on everything that you're doing. So I would love to be more involved and learn more um, about supporting the farmers and, you know, as, as that develops um, with your platform. Will do. And uh, keep, uh, keep doing all the great work that you're doing as well. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.